This is August 6th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, and thank you for joining for another week of Bruins Talk. Obviously, it's not easy talking Bruins right now. And early August, it's just, you know, there's not much going on with the Bruins. You know, we're all sort of waiting for the next shoe to drop with Charlie McAvoy, Brandon Carlo, how they're going to free up cap space. Nothing's happened in over a month. So it's, it's just very, you know, what do we do? What do we talk about? Last two weeks were Jack Edwards interviews. I thought they were great. The feedback's been good. I think, you know, if you haven't listened, go listen to them. They are very interesting. He's not a guy who talks much uh, aside from doing Bruins games, but, so getting an in-depth interview with him was really, really cool. It was a two-hour conversation split into two parts. Go listen to that if you haven't already. This week's guest was Ty Anderson. Thought it was a great, great uh, conversation that, that we had. We talked, you know, obviously McAvoy and Carlo, but we also talked about where the Bruins fit into the Boston sports picture. Come September, Sox are imploding, Celtics are unproven. Where does that leave the Bruins? Um, and then Ty also had a take that's in a that's in call that uh, he's writing a column about for 98.5, the sports hub.com. It's available right now um, on how bringing back a former Bruin for David Backus, who isn't Milan Lucic would actually be very good for the Bruins. I suggest you go uh, after listening to this, you should read that column because it's going to be pretty, pretty good. At any rate, here's my conversation with Ty Anderson. And we're here with Ty Anderson. Ty, what is up? What's going on, man? How you doing? Good. How's your summer been? Uh, it's been nice. It's uh, I'm getting to that point now where it's August, and I I want to get back to the rink, and I want to get back to uh, covering the team, and you know, covering the Bruins and the Celtics and the Patriots. It's just I've run out of things to do this summer, and it's weird because I haven't really done a lot. But I just I I prefer fall and winter uh, over uh, the the summer days and summer nights, if you will. See, I like spring because spring, it's like the anticipation of summer. And then summer comes and it's good. But then, like, I feel the same way you do. Like, I've been to the beach so many times. I've done this, that. And I just want to get back to back to school. And I just want to, like, kind of get back into the swing of things. It's so, like, it's not even like the dog days of summer anymore. I feel like we're past that. We're, we're at the point where it's like, yeah, summer's pretty much almost over. So um, it sucks because the Bruins is not really much going on. I mean, it's not like we have all these things to write about. I mean, we're pretty much just kind of – grasping at things to try to talk and write about. I mean, I just, at this point, it's like, you know, top 10 lists that we're doing. And it's like, Oh my God, can you believe like, who cares really? But yeah, yeah exactly. And I've kind of refused to, to do a lot of those just because I, I don't, I don't know if the appetite is there. You know, we've like on the website, we've written a lot of Bruins things. And then when we post them, a lot of the comments that we get back are, are sort of similar saying, we don't care about this. We want to hear about McAvoy and Carlo. And it's like, well, nothing's really happening on that front. So it's kind of hard to, I can't, I don't want to make up fan fiction here. Um, so yeah, it's been a boring summer. They made the, the moves for Lynn Holm and, and, and Richie. And then it's been pretty quiet beyond that. So uh, not exactly the most uh, sexy names I have to write about this summer either. So, uh, so yeah, so it's been a whole lot of nothing, I think on, on, on our front uh, as Bruins writers, as Bruins correspondents, uh, podcast hosting, whatever it is. I mean, you really haven't had a lot to talk about this summer. Well, I was lucky, obviously, the last two weeks were Jack Edwards interviews. So it was pretty much like, I don't have to worry about topics or anything. Um, but you mentioned something interesting in what you said with the big names. And I think what's funny is this offseason, 
obviously the, the Bruins kind of got killed by the Celtics in news. You know, Celtics lost Kyrie. They lost Al Horford. They get Kemba Walker. You know, they're, they're this, you know, rebuilding slash, you know, trying to come after last year's team. Um, which makes me think the Bruins might just be the best team in Boston. And I think, and this is my opening take. This is my, this is my opening take for the podcast. This is a hot take for early in August. The Bruins have, have a real opportunity. Uh, I think this fall and winter, you have the Red Sox who are imploding on every front. They, they suck right now. They just, as we record this on a, on a Monday afternoon, they just lost what four straight to the Yankees. They, they they've dropped eight straight, right? I mean, it's, yes, it's yes, eight straight now. Crappy product. Anyways, that team's imploding. The Celtics lost their, you know, two of their star players. No one really knows what's going on with them. They were unlikable as hell last year. You have the Bru- the Patriots aren't in Boston, so we're going to leave them out of this. But then you then you have the Bruins, who excited a lot of people going into the Stanley Cup. They lost, but they were doing high ratings. People cared. People were excited. I had a lot of friends who were like, I've never been a hockey person, but this year's Bruins team, they're really interesting. I loved watching them. It's going to carry into next year. So my point is, the Bruins have an opening. They have a real opening. No one, no one wants to even admit the Red Sox exist. No one knows what to think about the Celtics. The Bruins are probably going to be very good. They have a real opportunity here in the fall to kind of become the number one team in Boston. And I want to know what you think about, you know, if they're able to fulfill that and if it's a, if it's a reasonable, you know, thing to say about them. Well, I mean, if if we're excluding the Patriots, because I mean, this is a Patriots town. Now. Let's let's be honest; it really oh, is. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent Patriots town. But if you're talking the battle for, let's just say, like the three times a week sports, right, where it's it's they're battling with late season Red Sox, early season Celtics, and the Bruins, and yeah, they they should be the most compelling team because uh, those are the teams we don't know a lot about. I, I think so. The Bruins are are coming in. It reminds me a lot of 2011, uh, the 2011-2012 season, where they were coming off a cup win. Now, obviously, we know they didn't win it this year, but they were coming off what was a deep run that got a lot of the city uh, reinvigorated, reengaged with the team, and they're bringing the majority of that group back. So I think there's familiarity there for a lot of fans and a lot of uh, casual viewers, if you will. So it's about building off that. It's about it's about being a, a, what looks like a Stanley Cup contending team out of the gate. Now, can they do that? I'd like to think so because, again, the roster is pretty much the same as far as we know. They haven't traded Tory Krug uh, or David Krejci or anyone of significant value to make caps to create cap space. They haven't done that. Uh, so, yeah, you should be able – they should have that opportunity in front of them. It's a matter of, though, if, if they can continue to, to win at the clip they have under Cassidy. Uh, and that's one thing that I do wonder uh, with the short, shortened offseason – with the lack of upgrades on their roster, can they do that? That is the big question for them. It's not It's not a matter of how they be liked. People love the Bruins. They go to the games no matter what. Even when they were god-awful from 2015 to 2017 before they fired Julianne, they were still selling out the building. The building was selling seats. The ratings were good. Um, so it really is about just winning still. So we'll have to see if they can do that. I, I like to think they can get past all of their quote-unquote obstacles. Uh, but this summer might be kind of tight in that regard. No, I know, but I'm saying like I think the ratings could be higher during the regular season. There are times when they they you know definitely lose out to the Red Sox. They lose sometimes the Celtics. The Bruins typically do a little bit better than the Celtics, um, but I, I think that you know I think more eyes are going to be on them than let's say last fall. Than you know, you know this the fall. NBA schedule yet? Do we have that yet? I'm not sure. 
I'm because not, if no. you remember last year, the Bruins and Celtics went head to head constantly. It was something like 45 games. You had 45 days. You had the Bruins and the Celtics playing at the exact same time, which is like, that's absurd. You know what I mean? That, how can you, how can you really follow both of the teams in your own city if they're playing at the same time and the same night? It, it's impossible. So I'd be curious how that plays out because if, because if that's the case, I think the Bruins may steamroll the Celtics out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, but you could also have fans who say, I'm excited to see how the Celtics mesh together. How does Kemba Walker fit into the, you know, under Brad Stevens, all that, you know, stuff. So I just sort of wonder, you know, a lot of people, there was kind of a, uh, obviously a terrible ending for Bruins fans in June. There's sort of that hole where they want to fill it. Like, oh my God, we need to, you know, need to see what this team does next. Um, so speaking of what that team does next, Joe Haggerty wrote this week, uh, for NBC Sports Boston, he pretty much said, you know, um, he questioned, are they going to have, uh, sort of the slow start they had in 2011, 2012? You know, after they win the cup in 2011, they started that year pretty slow. They had a hot November, I think it was. Um, yeah, they like 11, 0 and 1 or something like that. Yeah. But in October, they were really, a, they were just bad. Um, do you think that happens with this team? It should. I think it should. And, and the one thing that can save it, in my opinion, is goaltending. Right, if if Yaro Halak can be uh, what he was last year out of the gate, let me salt, you know, salvage him a little bit. Remember, eleven, uh, Thomas was coming off his insane run, and Rask really wasn't all that great in 2011-2012. He ended, he actually ended up suffering an injury. They had to get Marty Turco, if you remember. Uh, he really wasn't that great that year out of the gate. So. That's the one thing that can save them, but I do expect a little bit of a slow start. I do expect them to sort of maybe come out of the first month five and five or five and six, whatever it may be. You know, you steal a few overtime points here and there if you can. Uh, they've never been a great shootout team, as we know, but but that that's an option as well. So uh, I, I want to say they have overcome some of these hurdles, but I do think there will be there has to be right. You look at every cup winning team; they all go through it, or every cup contending team. The following year, they go through it. Rarely do you see a team come right out of the gate and rattle off 10 wins in a row. And the teams that you do are typically the teams we would consider the best of their era, the Blackhawks, the Penguins, even the Capitals, I would say. So I do expect a little bit of a slow start, but I think that this team and the coaching and the the core pieces are still good enough that it doesn't derail them completely. So the Bruins open their season in Dallas, then in Arizona, then in Vegas, then in Colorado. Those are – so excluding the Coyotes, three of those four teams are supposed to be very, very good. You're getting them on the road to start the season. Now, that could be great for team bonding. Great. But that doesn't look too promising for a 4-0 start. So, yeah, as you said, I think it's totally reasonable this team comes out slow. I mean, the only time they didn't after losing the Cup was in uh, 2013 when they came out mm-hmm. and they had that 13-14 year where they were President's Trophy winners. But they also did a lot that – that off season, I mean, they went out, got, they got Jerome McGinley. There was, you know, they only came off the half season. They didn't come off an entire full season. Yeah. Yeah. It, you, you added, you added Soderberg, Erickson. I mean, Soderberg was there in 2013, but didn't play at all. So you had Soderberg, Erickson, and McGinley, and you lost Horton and, 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 uh, Sagan. At the time, that wasn't the worst loss. It aged poorly, of course, as we all know, but <laughs> that was a pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty good response if you were the Bruins. So yeah, no, that, that was sort of the one exception, but to your point, yeah. Half a season versus 82 games plus 24, uh, that is a big that is a big difference. And then not to go th- not to go through the entire schedule here, but they open up at home against the the Devils on October 12th. Then it's the Ducks. 
then the Lightning, and then a home and home with the Leafs. So, um, and then they play the Blues on October 26th. So maybe I should, maybe I should dedicate yeah, so a podcast. That's, that's nine or ten games, right? How many is that in total? That's that's that was about nine or ten, I think. Okay, so yeah, so if you're talking, if they went, and this sounds crazy, I know, but if they went four, four, and two, that is kind of a success in my opinion. Like for a first month back from a Stanley Cup uh, run and, and given their roster uh, deficiencies right now, given the cap space issue, if they can, if they can come in and go four, four and two in the first month, month of the season, I kind of like that for them. I really do. I can't wait for when, like when you write that column, I cannot wait for people to tweet like, Oh, Ty, he's such a homer. He's just always pro Bruins. Like what the hell? Because you know, you know, that's coming. Um, but no, I I don't know. I just I get that no matter what, man. I I've been told that I'm too negative now, which I'm like, wait, really? Like I I didn't think that'd ever be a way to describe me. Uh, <laughs> the but, thing but... is, you're you're also getting older. You've been on the beat a while, and like I think people kind of forget. And like maybe this is just me, but you have to build up credibility before you can actually like attack the team. Like you've built up that credibility. Yeah. Someone like me has not. I can't write a column ripping the team and have it be taken seriously, you know, whereas you can. So you're getting to the age now, like where you can do that. Not like you can, but like it's people that kind of accept it in some ways. If that makes any sense. I've just, I've just seen this before. Right. And I've seen what what teams can do. And, and I've seen falling in love with some of your core pieces when, when you really shouldn't have, or, or not making trades that you probably should have looking back on it. Um, so I just, I worry about the idea of simply saying, Oh, well, they're going to be fine. They have all these prospects. They have all these, these assets. It's like, okay, well at some point they have to become more than that. You know, we're in year three now of hoping Peter Solarek and Andres Bjork can play in the NHL. I mean, neither one of these guys is even healthy. Be been productive enough to keep a spot in the lineup. Um, and whether you look at the metrics or not, the advanced metrics are kind to both players, but they still haven't proven it to Cassie that they, that they are reliable enough for, for his lineup. Um, so, so that worries me, I think. So I think falling in love with, with some of your own players and your own pieces can sometimes be your undoing. Um, so when I'm negative, I think I'm just trying to remind people of, Listen, what happened last year was special, but it's not the norm. And you have to be ready to move on to the next page and continue to be competitive. That's one thing that's made the Lightning a great team. I know they got swept last year in the playoffs, but you look at the Lightning. One of the things that they've done really well over the years is that they haven't been afraid to make big moves, uh, to be in on big discussions, and to sort of know when to move on from guys or to maximize the value on a return. Um, and I think that that's really helped them stay competitive, ultra competitive. Last year. And I think all the good teams do that. So I always worry. I just caution people into, into buying in or falling in love with what they have and forgetting about what they could have in the present. Yeah, no, it's legit. So I wrote something this week on uh, how Don Sweeney can solve the Bruins cap conundrum. It was very general. It was not in depth. Um, but, you know, we talk about the cap and how it's sort of just totally disabled them from doing anything, you know, speaking of parting with pieces, um, they're going to maybe have to, if they want to re-sign Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo, and then next off season also want to re-sign Tori Krug, you're going to have to figure some things out because right now they want like 7 million in cap space. They do not have much. Yeah. Um, but right now, because, because cap friendly has Pavel Shen being on their roster, which I don't think that's going to happen. So you put him down in the minors and you have over $8 million in cap space. You can get funky with it. 
by putting more and more on LTIR at the beginning of the year, but they're going to be back. Their careers aren't over as far as we know. So again, money has to come out. Uh, at, at, whether it's now or November, it has to come out. So yeah. So I wrote a few options. I said for, my first option was trade Kevin Miller and or John Moore. I think that's pretty much like the consensus, most you know high uh, sort of most obvious thing to do. Both are injured. Neither really have any trade value. That's going to be tough to move. You're literally going to move them for pucks and water bottles and just for cap space, pretty much purposes. Yeah. Um, and you know Kevin Miller's had an injury history. John Moore is, I mean, out of every. Uh, all Bruins players, I think John Moore had the second lowest Corsi four. Now I don't I, I don't usually say that, you know, I don't you know, I pick and choose stats when they help, as everybody does. That helps my argument there. That helps my argument. Yeah. That he, he he didn't have a good play postseason. Um second I said do something with the David Backus contract. Don't know how that's gonna happen. Don't know how that's yeah, going. I think if it, I think if it was gonna happen, it would have happened by now, right? You kinda have to believe that and, and... I don't know. Like the Bacchus thing is, I think it'd be worth it to move a first round pick uh, for him because if you move a first round pick next year, you should be a contending team. You should have a pick in the low or in the late twenties. And that player typically speaking is not going to help you for about two to three years. So what's more important to you right now, winning in the next two to three years or winning five years from now. Looking at their roster construct, I say, okay, you need to win the next two to three years. You worry about five years down the road, five years from now. You have to do the moves. You, can, you have to make the moves that you, you have to right now to make sure that you're giving Tara and Bergeron and Rask and Marshan and Creedy one chance to win another one. And I thought this year was their opportunity, but it wasn't. But you still have to make moves uh, to sort of give yourself an opportunity. And I think – if it costs a first round pick and a prospect, I do it because I think it helps you right now. Yeah. I I mean, I look at it like you don't want to sacrifice your future. You don't want to also hurt your future in all this on in these dealings, but at the same time, like as you said, you ha- you don't have this core forever. Brad Marshy and Patrice Bergeron and 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 David Krejci and and Chara and Tuka Rask are not here for 100 years. They're here together for a max more of like 1 to 2 years. You you do kind of have to win now, and again, like as you as I, I agree with you on this as well, it would have already happened. Like it would have. There's no. Yeah. It's not happening now. It's not happening in a few weeks. You know, he'll start. I as I predicted earlier, he's going to start the year on the roster. Whatever. I mean, it's just it's got to this point where it's just there's no like we all kind of had that feeling that he wasn't going to get moved. We all had the feeling like he'd be back. Right. I mean, that's not the Bruins thing to do to like, just make a big move. Right. I mean, I, am I right on that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. They're really reluctant to move those guys. Right. Like, like Bolesky, it took, it took the Rick Nash availability for him to be traded. And I, I like Jimmy Hayes, they, they tried their best to not buy him out for as long as they could. And, and then they just did it. You know, they, they, they're not ones to like quit on guys, at the first time of trouble, but I would argue that this case you kind of have to um, just to give yourself a, a better chance. And it sucks because I love David Backus as a person. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. He's a great teammate for, for a lot of those players in the locker room, great veteran presence, but he, he can't, he doesn't fit this roster. He doesn't fit this coach's style. And it's so clear uh, watching him in the Stanley cup final, you felt bad because this is a guy going against his old team who just wasn't effective. And they kept putting him in situations to be effective I mean, he got, he got games with, with Krejci and DeBrusque, and he was almost always in the offensive zone, and they did nothing. And 
you saw him by the end of it trying to basically fight his way into relevance, fight his way into making an impact, and it just didn't happen for him. And, and you hate to see it like that because I think that this is a player who he gave his career. I mean, he played a lot of big minutes for St. Louis, a lot of big minutes, a lot of a lot of big minutes for Boston in his first few years. So it, you hate to see a goal like this, but he just – I don't think he can play at this level anymore. I really don't. Yeah, it's just the league's moved on from guys like him. I mean, we see it, you know, Lucic and, you know, Lucic getting, they're trying to, you know, trade his contract around. He goes to Calgary, you know, just a lot of guys like that just aren't fitting in the NHL anymore. Um, when you swap it, here's a, when does this go on? When does this go out, by the way? When is this, when is this live? This will be tomorrow, uh, Tuesday morning. So tomorrow morning. Okay. Okay. So I'll have this done by then. So I don't mind saying this right now. What if, and this is something I'm writing. What if you could do the Lucic trade with Bacchus? You trade the Bacchus contract for another bad contract. Let's say Louis Erickson. Would you do a David Bacchus for Louis Erickson swap, assuming the Canucks would either hold some money or they would take on another one of your bad contracts like John Moore or Kevin Miller? Would you do that? Can you remind me what Louis Erickson is making? Louis Erickson is making $6 million as well. Okay. so you would need I mean, the Canucks to retain some money probably because I believe he has an extra year on his contract. Okay, so my idea on that would be Louis Erickson would help your roster more than David Backus would. Like, he just would. He would fit in better. So I would say yes to that, yes. Exactly, because Louis Erickson, by the way, is a very similar build in terms of player, skill set, all that crap, as Marcus Johansson, who they just lost to the Buffalo Sabres. Erickson could fit on your third line or your second line as a left winger or a right winger. I think that would make a lot of sense for the Bruins. Now, would they do that? They didn't want to give Erickson $6 million. That's why he wasn't here. But if there were, if there were retained salary and the Canucks held on to, let's say, a million dollars because you're taking on the extra year, I then, be, I then think that becomes an interesting discussion if you're the Bruins because David Krejci, by the way, loved playing with Louis Erickson. So I wonder if that would be something that would make sense. I would do a bad contract swap if it meant getting rid of David Backus. Well, that's the thing. It's like <laughs> Backus just doesn't fit. So there's so many pieces that, that, that could fit better. As you said, Louis Erickson, that's, that's a great take, by the way. That is such an original take to you. No Thank one's, you. I have not seen that take anywhere. That is 100% to you and, and listeners, you're hearing it. When is that, when's that uh, column dropping? That is going to be up late tonight, first thing tomorrow morning. Okay, so listeners can look forward to hearing and uh, reading it in, in a single, single morning. Um, that's, that's a good take. I like that take. Thank um, you. But the Lucic thing, what's Lucic making? I he's making uh, is he making six or seven? I want to say he's making seven. I might be wrong there, though. I know it was a contract that, that the Bruins were not willing to give him, which is why he was traded in the first place. No, he's making six, but for the next four years. That's what it is. So that's the thing. Like, I got, getting a guy like him there, I mean, yes, he, he loved Boston. Yes, he fit in well here and all that stuff. But, you know, just like they're, him and Bacchus are both leaders, and him and Bacchus are both slow and probably would you – know, I don't think Lucic would have the impact, you know, even a fourth of the impact he had a few years ago here. I, I just don't. I don't see why – You'd go for a guy like him. But for a guy like Erickson, who, as you said, comp to Marcus Johansson, not bad. Not it's bad. It's not a bad if, idea. And if he also gets Kevin Miller or John Moore off your hands, probably John Moore, then so be it. Um, so now it's on to a take I've had. So I've had a take lately. I've said it on a couple podcasts. I tweeted. Of course, I got attacked for it. Um, by the way, the, th- the third and fifth option on my, in my column for how John Sweeney can solve the 
Bruins thing are very, you know, they're not things that people don't normally say. It's trade Tory Krug and trade David Krejci. Of course, I don't want to do either. You don't want to yeah. do either, but if you had to, those are two contracts you could maybe move. Um, probably more realistically Krug than Krejci. Uh, at any rate, the, the take I've had that everyone's attacked is why are we not thinking about Yaroslav Halak? And I get it. The two goalie system works. It worked last year. It's around the NHL. Um, you know, Dallas has it. Uh, you know, Montreal is getting it with Keith Kincaid behind Carey Price. It works. 100% I agree. But if it's in the name of cap space, now again, I don't want to trade Halak if I'm the Bruins. I don't, I don't think he's a guy, again, I don't think he's a guy that you, that you're trying to deal off. But if they have to, you know, A, he's a backup goalie. So he's making two seven fives backup, which isn't terrible. But also remember this: he's thirty. He's going to be he he's thirty four. He's inconsistent. Last year, last year I know he's had some great years before. Little bit of an outlier in the past couple of years he'd had up to that point. Yeah, he has last year where he's nasty. The year before he was terrible in in, in on the island. A couple of years before that he wasn't amazing. So. Not even, do, you know, the two-goalie system works, and I'm all for it, but are we even sure that Yaroslav Halak is going to have the season he had last year, this year? I mean, so I think it's something that we sort of have to talk about here. Like, why are we not looking to Yaroslav Halak? No, it's true, and it, it makes sense because I think that, to your point, he is, it, last year was an outlier. He isn't consistent, historically speaking. He has really high highs, really low lows, and you saw that play out. The first half, he was dynamite. And then he, had, then he had about a two-month stretch where he couldn't stop a beach ball. And so so that's that's a problem in and of itself. And, yeah, I always adhere to the, the idea that if you, have to, if you have to cut cap and cut costs, you want to get rid of the players that are of the least significance. Ultimately, that's David Backus. But if it can't be Backus, what do you look at then? You look at the back of goaltender and you say, okay, well, you signed, you signed the kid from Vegas this past year uh, or this summer. Then you look at the free agent market. There are still some guys out there that haven't been signed that you could theoretically bring in on a PTO, create that, create that competition and let whoever gets it, gets it. I mean, Chad Johnson is not going to cost you an arm and a leg and he was successful here under Bob Asenza. So does that make sense for the Bruins? Maybe, but I, I don't know. You'd be, you'd be saying you could quickly be back in the territory of, of starting Tuka 65 games, which we know that doesn't work for this team right now. Yeah. That's something I would say. That's the thing. You can't, like, again, you can't, Tuka has proven time and time again, he cannot play more than, than 50 games, you know, yeah. or in the sixties. He can't do it. It just doesn't work. I think and the league so, has proven that as a whole is that the league does like, you can't be a, a 70 or a 60 to 70 game starter and, and be great for four rounds. It, it just doesn't happen anymore. Like you watch, like, look at the way that the Capitals were in 2018. Do you really think the Capitals win? If they don't manage Braden Holpe to the degree they did that year, uh, I mean, even he didn't even start the playoffs for them. But like, think about that. Like, Braden Holpe was this guy; he was a workhorse. But when they finally sort of limited him a little bit, he was more effective for them, and they finally won it all. So it's it's a it's a really th- it's a real thing in this league now. I think. And also, you look at the three highest paid goalies in the league. You have Bobrovsky, Carey Price, Henrik Lundqvist. All are you know make the most for goaltenders on their team, and they have up to this point. You know they make a ton of money. They take up a huge portion of their team's salary. You know, now you have Vasilevsky as well. Um, but those three before, you know, they get overplayed during the year. Bobrovsky's a puddle in the playoffs. Carey Price has never really gone far. And when he, when his, you know, when he did, he got injured. 
And then Henrik Lundqvist has been to one Stanley Cup final. It's like, so again, like it, it proves time and time again. But my argument again with Halak is, are we even sure he's going to perform even close to the standard he set last year? Because, you know, talking to him at Stanley Cup final media day, he was like, I don't even, you know, he can't get off the vibe of like, I don't even know if I'm going to be here after my contract ends or, you know, be in the league after his contract ends. So I don't know. I think that'll be something interesting to watch. Um, not again, your idea. I like, I'd say your take on, you know, Erickson was probably better than my take on Halak, but I think they're both thinking outside the box, which is just what we want on the podcast. You have to, when you, when you're this, when you're this far, you know, deep into cap hell, basically, uh, you, you have to get inventive. You have to see what else is out there. And I just think that, I mean, it can't be, oh, you trade Tory Krug. He's too important to this team, I think, honestly, uh, given the fact that they don't have another top six winger, which they've wanted for years, and they still don't have it. So for better or worse, you're a power play team the regular season. You need that guy there. You need Tory Krug there, in my opinion, because he, he really is an elite power play quarterback. So – that's not on the table for me. Same thing for trading Krejci because I don't think you're going to get uh, acceptable value for less than what you're paying him right now on the market. I know that sounds crazy to some, but we're in a league now where Kevin Hayes is a, is a seven million dollar center and Matthew that's Shane is all well. crap. That's yeah, unbelievable. And, so that's the thing, right? So you look at that and you say, okay, well maybe you're actually getting real value here. If Krejci's a sixty to seventy point guy and he's making 7.25, that's kind of what that market is. Maybe even a little bit cheaper in 2019. Also, if you trade a guy like Krejci or a guy like Krug, you're getting guys back who cost either A, cost a lot, or will end up costing a lot. So it's like it, it, it ends up being a lateral move when you actually kind of break it down, unless they can do it. But I, I'm not for trading Krug. I'm not for trading Krejci. I just, at the, But they, they're things they have to consider. Anyways. Just to finish things off, did you see the top 20 centers uh, list uh, by NHL Network? I did, and I'm uh, very happy that my guy uh, Barkov was finally getting some love. That guy would be a superstar in any other market in this league. He is ridiculous. He's so good. So I was happy to see that. Uh, beyond that, I, I – well, they had Bergeron, what, was it seventh? It's seventh. They have Ber- so it goes McDavid one, Crosby two, McKinnon three, Barkov four, John Tavares five – Austin Matthews, six, Patrice Bergeron, seven, and then eight is Steven Stamkos, nine, Mark Shifley, 10, Braden Point. I don't have a big problem with it. I just don't. Are I people think, mad about this? So I think people are mad that Bergeron's as low as he is. They did the, they, um, they did it according to the fans and Bergeron okay. was third, which is so like Boston. It's not even funny. Yeah. But like yeah, any high. of those guys from, from five to 10 can be interchanged. I mean, you know, you can put Bergeron ahead of Tavares. You can, I think you can put Tavares ahead of Bergeron. It just, it's what, it's whatever your preference is. I mean, obviously people in Boston are pro Bergeron, but I mean, putting Matthews ahead of him is not the biggest sin in the world in my opinion. No, no, it's not. And, and, and I think keep in mind, a lot of these countdowns, they value things that, that many who love Bergeron don't necessarily value. It's goal scoring, it's skating, it's, it's playmaking ability. I mean, I can watch Bergeron and Barkov and Sean Couture for every day for the rest of my life because I appreciate that kind of player. But I think when you're talking countdowns and, and you know, top lists, whatever it is, they want the sexy name. They want the goal scorer. They want the superstar in the big market. So, and Bergeron is one of those guys. But I think that if, if you're saying, okay, who's a bigger superstar, the guy in Toronto or the guy in Boston, I think most fans and most pundits are going to go with Toronto because – it's basically the New York Yankees of, of MLB or of, N, of the NHL. 
Fun fact of the top 10 centers in that list. Now, obviously, it's not definitive, but the list that they gave, six of the 10 are from the Atlantic Division. That's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, and that's that speaks to this this hellish uh, this hellscape of a playoff format we have now where uh, you have maybe what is the best era of Atlantic Division hockey. Uh, and it's happening right now, which is great. That's great. If you're the, if you're the Florida Panthers, you have to feel like absolute shit knowing that, that you can do all these moves and everything you want. And it still doesn't matter because you're not going to be as good as Boston, Toronto, and Tampa Bay. It doesn't matter. You're not going to be as good as those teams. They are all wagons. And getting in attention in Florida, you're not even going to be able to do because you have the Tampa Bay Lightning. So if you're, if you're fighting for attention in Florida for hockey, you're still second. You can't even get past that. And then, and then, you know, you have the, the, and people forget the Canadians have a great far, uh, have a great, you know, prospect pool. The Senators, God only knows, but the Senators have some guys, you know, Thomas Shabbat and, and, you know, Brady Kachuk. So I don't Until know. So they have to pay them. And then they're going to be like, we can offer you $86. You're like, uh, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, yeah, no. And like Buffalo, think about Buffalo, right? Like Buffalo is a team where they have Jack Eichel and everyone's celebrating. They get Middlestad. He's, he's great too. Uh, they have all these young pieces you would think that would make them a contender, but it's so hard in their division, and it's so hard if you don't have everything locked down, everything running completely smooth. Like it's just you're behind the eight ball times ten in the Atlantic, and we've seen this before. The Central went through this, right? Where where the Central, I think you could argue, might be neck and neck with 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 the Atlantic as the best division in hockey. But you know, think of how many years that the the uh, the Dallas Stars and the St. Louis Blues, Minnesota Wild, um, you know, these teams were all sort of on the periphery basically as, as being fringe playoff teams because their division is so friggin' good. You know, it's a real thing. So, uh, yeah, it, it sucks for everyone in the Atlantic besides the uh, three-headed monster, if you will. Yeah. Well, that's the way it is. And it should be – that again, that's such an interesting storyline to me going forward into this year is like – you know, do the Maple Leafs leapfrog the Bruins? You know, do the Lightning show any signs of slowing down? Or are they just more motivated coming off last year, which I think is more the case. Um, but anyways, Ty, thank you for joining us. Uh, obviously, no it's worries. tough to talk Bruins. It's tough to talk Bruins in uh, early August, but it doesn't matter. People need their Bruins content. We love talking it, and, and why not? So, yes, Ty Anderson, thank you so much. Anytime, dude. All right. Well, for uh, CLS Media... I'm the host of Bruins Beat, Evan Marinovsky. Have a tremendous rest of your week. 